You are listening to Master Coaching with Ajit, a podcast that inspires coaches to impact lives of their clients more meaningfully. I am Coach Ajit, and I'm known for coaching high performers, entrepreneurs, and leaders. I'm also a serial entrepreneur and author of many books. On this podcast, I am answering your burning questions. I'm also demonstrating and deconstructing behind-the-scenes coaching sessions. We are going to get into one of my favorite topics, which is personal relationships. You know how much I love watching you and Nita interact. I love your love story. I love how you guys do relationships. I'm thinking about someone in our audience right now who maybe wants to manifest their ideal partner or relationship. Manifesting their ideal partner or relationship. What steps can they take? A relationship is manifested. You can't practically put like real practical steps that go, okay, go to party X and then Mm -hmm. find person Y and then you will find a relationship. It just doesn't work because it's such a spiritual and emotional act Mm -hmm. that it kind of have to have a more of a metaphysical path. Mm -hmm. So the first step to it is to start by Think about the feeling that you want in the relationship, not the practical, you know, tall, six feet five or whatever the height that you want and what color of eyes and hair yeah. and all of that, which tends to be how people think about it because they are looking for more, for lack of a better word, a sexual compatibility mm-hmm. versus looking for a compatibility for life. Mm-hmm. And because of that, there's always the question of, hey, who's the type of partner that you would like? And usually definitely men are more attracted to a particular physical structure and would select or not select a partner based on the physical attraction that they have. Now, physical attraction is vitally important. It's not to be ignored, but what really lasts for a true relationship or for love is something that is beyond the physical attraction. Is much more than physical attraction. That is why the first thing to really reflect mm-hmm. on is what's the feeling that you want? What is the feeling of the relationship that you want? Not just the person, but how's that person come together with you to create the most ideal relationship? Because that ideal relationship or the desire of the ideal relationship will set you at pace to really then consider what are the characteristics of this person mm-hmm. that you must be interested and not curious about, right? Mm -hmm. And that would give you a little bit better idea of that person holistically needs to be versus a dimensional idea of a person which may be very physical, very Mm -hmm. tactile, very step-by-step. Now, once you've identified that desire, that attraction, that ideal relationship, the feeling of ideal Mm -hmm. relationship, is you want to start understanding that love is everywhere Mm -hmm. and love is to be celebrated, right? A lot of times... What I've seen, what I observed in myself as well, is I would look at somebody else's relationship and I would go, wow, they have such a great relationship. Wow, they have such a great relationship, but that guy is not really that great. Or I wonder why this gal is with this guy Mm -hmm. or I wonder why this guy is with this girl. And that happens with us, right? We Mm -hmm. think somebody's really attractive to us and instead of celebrating them, we start getting jealous of them, Mm -hmm. right? Or we start kind of not really appreciating the relationship, we kind of wonder why this relationship even exists. And it makes great gossip and it makes great conversations with Mm -hmm. our friends and everything. But what happens because of that is we are also creating this resistance in our mind about love and accepting love and appreciating love. And if we can't appreciate love, it becomes a little bit hard for us to actually manifest that relationship for us. Mm -hmm. So it's not only that you truly need to understand the desire of what you want to attract, but that you actually appreciate it. So instead of looking at 
a relationship and still looking at the differences in the relationship or why it shouldn't work out or how the man is not deserving of the woman or the woman's not deserving of the man or the partners are not deserving of each other, instead look for how they are great together. What are the beauties that they bring together? What are the joys that they bring together? It creates a cognitive bias towards always looking for love everywhere instead of looking for why love doesn't work everywhere. See, one of the key secrets to not only attracting love, but also psychological biases that we need to have is to understand that the more we look for similarities and more we look for the greatness in things, the easier it is to get greatness attracted towards you. It's law of attraction, which is a very spiritual idea. But if you look at the psychology of it, it just simply gets you to filter out mm. anything that is truly it selectively gets you to filter out things that are negative around you and selectively gets you to appreciate things that are good around you. And when you have good thoughts, what tends to happen is stack on more good thoughts. And when you stack on more good thoughts, you start labeling and stop accepting that that is true for you. So say, for example, somebody's looking for love mm -hmm. and you start seeing love everywhere. You start seeing a couple and so thinking about how they're different or why they're fighting or why they may have an argument. You start looking for how much they appreciate each other or how much they care for each other or how the man takes to the woman or the woman takes to the man or the partner takes to the partner. And once you start seeing that, you go, wow, love is here in this couple. Love is here in this couple. Love is here in this particular scenario for whatever that is. Once you start appreciating all of that, you start to go, love is everywhere. And so when somebody comes into your life, if your desires are well-defined and you go, this is the kind of relationship that I want, it starts to go, oh, that's one person that may be the right kind of person or partner for me, right? Then there's another person and then there's another person. You see more people giving you love. You mm -hmm. see more people you can love. Mm -hmm. uh, and not, not necessarily that you're loving sexually, just loving as mm -hmm. a person. And that allows you to be able to attract more love in your life. So it's a spiritual principle and a cognitive principle that allows us to be able to see more love around us. And once we are past that and we are able to celebrate love around us and we are able to celebrate other people's love around us and start to celebrate ourselves also, one of the biggest barriers, and especially somebody who's gone through a situation like myself, and that tends to happen if you're slightly older, that you've had a bad relationship or you've had a relationship that makes you doubt if there can be love mm -hmm. and if love is really a thing mm -hmm. or it's just, you know, chemical mismatch in our bodies mm -hmm. that creates a high and then it goes away or you feel you cannot be loved or you feel love cannot happen around you because you're just not wired that way or you're not wired for love. And that tends to be truth for a lot of us who have had one or many bad relationships and anybody who's over 30 Mm -hmm. has had many bad relationships, yeah. at least two, three, yeah. right? And if you had two, three bad relationships, you kind of lose faith. You kind of lose faith first in love and second in yourself. And losing faith may be one of those things that will consistently put you on a back feet where you would always go, well, is love really real? Or mm -hmm. is it just sexual chemistry? Or is love going to really happen for me? Or is it just something that is available to others? And so you need to start developing faith in love. And looking for love, appreciating love, mm -hmm. loving love, uh, loving for anybody that loves you and loving people, yourself, starts building that faith back mm -hmm. in you. See, if there's something that is present to you as a desire that you have, it is most likely that in the universe it exists. 
it may not be present to you right now, but it definitely exists in the world that is, mm -hmm. is why the universe has presented you with that desire. It's like any goal also in life is if there's a goal that is present to you, there's an opportunity for that goal to be realized. If there is love that is present to you or a type of love that is present to you, there's an opportunity for that love to be realized in your life. Mm -hmm. And once you start to lean into that, almost a mantra mm -hmm. in a way to kind of go, if I desire, it exists. If mm -hmm. I desire, this exists. If I desire, this exists. If you repeat that mantra again and again to yourself, you would see that it truly does exist. It may have a slightly different form, a slightly different path to get to you, but it exists. And that is why that desire has been presented to you. Mm -hmm. And once you start to build that cognitive bias towards the idea that love exists and that love is there and that you are loved and you can be loved and you are loved all the time anyways, and you mm -hmm. start looking for evidences for it, suddenly everything around you starts to change and you start to see that more and more likely partners or more and more partners that fit the desire that you had presented start to show up in your life. It's our mind just starts to filter out and starts to filter in what's really that we desire. Mm. And so you will start to see many partners that are possible for you. This is literally what happened once I decided that I am lovable as a person. Mm. It took me a whole year after my relationship ended where I was able to finally see myself as a lovable person and stopped the journey of just wanting to sleep with people. Mm -hmm. Like, which is, of course, everybody has those seasons in life and not everybody, but some lot of people have such seasons in their life. And I had that season in my life where I was like, okay, I'm not really lovable, but I can have, you know, partners. Mm -hmm. And so I would go out and have partners until I realized how empty it felt mm -hmm. after, how unrealized it felt after. And, and once I recognized that the pattern was mostly because I couldn't love myself, how could I attract somebody that would love me? But once I started that journey of saying, okay, what does love look like to me? What is my desire? What's the kind of partner I would like? It was pretty straightforward. And there were a few partners. Nita wasn't the only one. There were a few partners that were pretty evidently pretty much the same characteristics in some way. Nita was just extraordinary and was the perfect partner for me and was the right synchronicity for me. And so that was the partner that really got manifested. But if I have to take a journey back in time and go, well, did you see only Nita at the time? Or there were multiple partners mm -hmm. that you could say, well, they could fit my desires potentially. Again, I wouldn't know because I never pursued it fully as much as I pursued Nita. But I would say on surface, it felt like, oh, they could fit the desire. They could fit the desire. They could fit the mm -hmm. desire. And of course, Nita was the one that was truly fitting the desire. And it was the same type of person that I wanted to attract in my mm -hmm. life. So it just perfectly fit at the time. Which brings me to the final piece, which mm -hmm. is you must start acting like the partner is already there. Because there is a particular kind of action that you would take if the partner was there, right? Mm -hmm. You wouldn't just hit on everybody, for example, right? You would act with a certain level of... Integrity. Integrity. Mm -hmm. Yeah, you would have some integrity. You would have some kind of charisma that you would present. There will be certain kind of confidence that you would have in yourself and person that you're with. So you start acting as if the person's already happening and is coming into your life. It unlocks a part of you that makes yourself even more attractive to the right partner. Not to everybody else, but to the right partner, especially as they realize, oh, you don't have a partner, especially when you are available. Mm -hmm. It becomes very attractive to the right partner, but you need to start acting like it. Because a lot of times when we don't have a partner, and you would see definitely in men, I don't know about women, but definitely in men, is when they're single, they act like slobs. 
right? <laughs> they don't take showers for days. They are not dressed to impress. You know, they wake up, they smoke too much weed or play too many video games or whatever that is that they're doing. <laughs> but single men tend to have certain tendencies that change the moment they are in a relationship. And it's not because the woman's changing them. It's because they are changing themselves. Yeah. It's because they realize that I'm a more responsible adult and not a child that's 14 years old, mm-hmm. right? And because that that changes, women are more attracted to, to men. And that's also true for why more women, and I, that's what I know, and I could be wrong mm-hmm. in my data point, but more women are attracted, especially mature women who are actually doing something in life and who are not kids, are are attracted to, not kids, but not, you know, young adults, whatever. But women are more attracted to married men or women are more attracted to committed men if not married. And that's not because they want to break a relationship. It gives a sense of a committed man Stability. Acts different. Yeah. They're, they're more stable. They're more present. They're more confident. They know where they're going. They have a purpose. They have a mission. They have responsibility. The sense of stability, like mm-hmm. you said. They walk with that. Their presence brings that to the environment. And the more a man is that, the more desired he becomes. So if you, as a man, start operating that way, like even if you don't have a committed relationship, but you act as if you have a committed relationship, what will happen is your persona changes and you're way more attractive to the right person. Wow. Right? So I'm sure something of this sort also works for women. It may not be perfectly mm-hmm. as how it works for men, but I'm certain it's the same thing for women. Mm-hmm. Because when Nita said yes to love, which is, this is me reflecting on what she shared as a story, but when she said yes to love, she changed as well on how she was operating. She was not trying to just go from one city to another city. She was looking for more stability. Mm. She was working on her book. She was committed to say, I'm going to meet men with intention, not just meet men, right? I'm not going to just go for whatever is my feeling in the moment. I'm committing to actually understand the person across the table, right? So women also change somewhat. I don't know exactly those changes, but they do change Mm -hmm. the moment they start operating that they are committed to something. They are not flimsy about things. Mm -hmm. And commitment creates that attraction. So I wanted to ask you this. How do you feel about the company that you keep? Because I know one of the steps that you said was start celebrating love whenever and wherever you can. Do you think that it's important that as someone is looking for love, that they're hanging out with people that aren't man bashing or women bashing and being like, oh, all men suck. You know what I mean? You know how people who are biased and jaded, they just start talking crap about the opposite sex. And isn't that important as well as you're trying to manifest? It's like the company that you're hanging out with and, and how they're speaking about dating and relationships. I would generally recommend not to hang out with anyone that is man bashing or woman bashing because that's a season of life. That's not the truth of life. There's a season of life that I totally understand where if you were hurt recently, Mm -hmm. there's a possibility that you're man bashing or woman bashing depending on whatever hurt you, right? It's Mm -hmm. like when we go against a race or a culture or a skin tone, it's not because inherently we are bad people. Mm-hmm. It's because we have had a bad experience or we have a narrative that has been presented to us again and again and again that we think that that narrative is the absolute truth mm-hmm. of life. And it's not. All men are not bad. All women are not bad. Mm-hmm. So generally, I would say don't hang out with anybody that is in a state of, unless you're supporting a friend, which right. is a different thing. But if you are generally surrounding yourself with people who are bashing something all of the time, what tends to happen is that your wiring will get in sync with that. So there's a theory, it's a cognitive theory called 
overgeneralizing. Mm -hmm. Overgeneralizing is a psychological theory where your mind's greatest purpose or the only purpose really is to think and then give instructions to your body, mm -hmm. right? If you think about like from a, a mechanical, biological yeah. point of view, right? Uh, it's basically to think those thoughts, make meaning of whatever that is around us and then make a thought around it and then tell that thought mm -hmm. to the rest of our body to do the thing it needs to do, mm -hmm. right? Or just think about it even more so it can become a thing in its own mind, right? Mm -hmm. So that's the job of one of our most powerful organs, which is the brain. Mm -hmm. Now, what happens is when something good happens in a day is we think about it, right? We think about all the good things and we, we celebrate them. But... Has it happened, and this is an open question to all listeners, that a single, sometimes really stupid, simple event that was just negative that happens and the rest of your day goes to shit, mm -hmm. right? It could be the dumbest thing. It yeah. could be one word somebody said. It could be one idea or one recognition you didn't get or whatever that is. Like it's a tiny thing in the context of your life or your day even, but it spoils your entire day, Right? That's what overgeneralizing is. Overgeneralizing is when we take a small negative thought and we create almost like a domino effect that creates negative thought after negative thought after negative thought after negative thought, making us feel like shit, right? Yeah. Or making our day shit. And that happens if you are around people that are constantly bashing, mm -hmm. right? If you be in that environment again and again and again, and if one day somebody says, all men are dicks, you know, men don't know how to love. Men don't know, whatever that is, mm -hmm. right? It's a man bashing environment, right? You hear it for day one, your day is spoiled. You can't see a good man around you. It's not possible for you that day. But then that happens another day. And then another day, then another day. The 10th day or the 100th day of you experiencing this, you can't see a good man. Even the greatest man around you or a perfectly good fit for you, you would think that person's a dick because you've been hearing that for about 100 days. Right. And that's kind of how our mind works. And that's how we create realities around us. So we have to become overly protective about what gets into our brains because every single thought, and I mean every yeah. single thought, can totally corrupt not just your day, but your entire life. So if you're trying to attract a man or a woman in your life, there is no reason for you to think that they are evil. If you want to attract something, like it's like saying, I want to have all the money in the world, but I hate money. Right. Then you can't have because you hate it, right? There is no reason for you to actually take action towards it. And that's kind of what happens in when we are man bashing or woman bashing is you are creating a story where there is impossible for you to see the good in a particular sex. So it's clear that obviously we have to work on our own self-development as we're trying to manifest our ideal partner or relationship. Are there any specific practices that you would recommend for someone who is trying to manifest? I know we talked about, you know, acting as if and getting ourselves into the actual feeling of it and surrounding ourselves with people who are not bashing and obviously are, you know, celebrating love. Is there anything else, any other self-development practices that you would recommend? I think the biggest thing to understand mm -hmm. when we are trying to manifest anything is the clarity of thought towards mm -hmm. what you're trying to manifest. Mm -hmm. And you have to be really careful of it because whatever your mind will want to believe, it will believe. Mm -hmm. And whatever you would think you want to attract, you will attract. It may take a day, it may take a month, it may take a year, but it will happen, especially if you keep telling yourself that story, which is why it's very important to know what you're really attracting. So, for example, and that's why I was suggesting that you never want to list physical characteristics of the person because physical 
characteristics is a great determinant of your sexual attraction to that person, but it's also one of those deterring factors that in a few years, the person is going to change, except if they are completely like they have got a thousand Botox and get surgery everywhere yeah. and so on and so forth, which is a whole different story. But most of us stop at physical characteristics and those are the worst things to be attracted towards. Not worst things, but those are the least relevant things to be attracted yeah. towards because they change with time. They must, right? What you want to be attracted to is the characteristics of the person. And the more definitive you are about it, the easier and better it is for you to be actually having that characteristic come into our life. At the same point in time, you must understand that life is nuanced. Mm -hmm. uh, we are nuanced as people. And it's not going to be a perfect match. It's, it's kind of impossible to do that because it's kind of impossible for you to even visualize the perfect match mm -hmm. because there would be nuances to everything. All right. So let's segue into couples and how couples can effectively communicate and resolve conflicts in a healthy and constructive manner. So you're now in the relationship yeah. and now you've just maybe had your first conflict with your partner. How do we go about dealing with that? So conflicts are an interesting frame because conflicts happen because of different reasons. Mm -hmm. Firstly, are conflicts that are, let's call them conscious conflicts and unconscious conflicts. Conscious conflicts are things that happen because of a real event. Like these are real things, mm -hmm. which is, let's say somebody was rude to another person, mm -hmm. like the partner was rude to the partner. It's a real thing that happened. It happened because of whatever that is that happened for one of the partners mm -hmm. before. It's a real thing. It's a conscious thing. It's much easier to resolve conscious challenges because you can communicate them. You can see them, yeah. right? The things you can see, you can resolve. And then there are unconscious conflicts. Unconscious conflicts are created with expectations that are created in one's mind mm -hmm. and expectations that are not communicated outside. And suddenly you have a conflict around that, right? So say, for example, I'll tell you about a real conflict that happened recently. So mm -hmm. uh, between me and Nita, for example, mm -hmm. right? So what happened was that I am somebody, as I was sharing previously in this conversation as well, I am somebody who protects his mind as if it's fort, mm -hmm. right? There's no way you're getting in my mind, right? My mind needs to be solid. I'm not going to let a negative thought or a negative act get to me because I know what will happen after. Once I get something and if I'm not able to visualize it, practice it and kind of like release and turn it around mm -hmm. quick enough, I'm going to ruminate, which is a human behavior. It's yeah. like I'm perfectly human, right? So I'm going to ruminate. And if I'm going to ruminate, it's going to destroy 10 minutes, 20 minutes, maybe an hour of my time if that is stacking on to a rumination that may be subconsciously happening for me before. Mm -hmm. So my unsaid expectation is that don't mess with my mind. Like don't give me a thought that doesn't belong to me. It sounds toxically positive in a way, but I'm okay with being toxically yeah. positive if that is a thing. Yeah. I don't care about that term. I don't believe in that term, whatever that is. But the thing is that for me, I know when I'm working, when I'm playing, when I'm partying, when I'm working hard, when I'm going to the gym, I need my mind set so I can get the maximum out of that time. And that's just how I want to live my life. I enjoy my life because I suck up all the energy in a good way yeah. of every moment. Like I enjoy every single thing that I do. I enjoy every moment. I enjoy every event. I don't want a half-assed life. Mm -hmm. Right? And for that to happen, I need to be present with my all positive energy in that moment, really enjoy it, mm -hmm. right? So I'm very particular about even a word just thrown around. Like, you know, you don't just say things. 
that are meant to hurt mm-hmm. or don't say things that are like a jab here mm-hmm. or there because I know it messes with my mind. Right? But I never said that as an expectation. I never communicated, hey, listen, I need you to be extra mindful when we are communicating, especially my mornings, right? Mm-hmm. Where I, my energy is not available to anything because it's with kids for the first two hours of the day, then it's for work for the next five hours of the day. Mm-hmm. And that's my most productive time. And then it's everything else, right? And kids and family basically is the first two hours of the day, but mostly it's kids because this is the time when we get to hang with the kids except for after our work, which is at like four o'clock or something, right? So that's the most dedicated time. And I never communicated that to her. I just simply just didn't because I thought that's an expectation mm-hmm. I should have of her. And the other day, I was mad at her because she said something in the morning, which is totally her own stuff. But I landed on me in a way where I was like, why would you say that right in the morning? She is such a, you know, and then I went into my ruminating self mm-hmm. to go, why would you say that? Why would you, you know, like mm-hmm. it's my morning, you know how important it is. Da, da, da. I'm not, I'm not saying any of this to her. I'm saying this in my head to myself, right? So this is an unconscious wow. conflict that has started because I didn't make it conscious, right? And these are unconscious conflicts that we are fighting all the time. And that's why most people grow apart in their relationship because they're unconscious narratives that we create about the other person and we let them run like a tape recorder. Like they always do this. Mm -hmm. They always say this. They always blank, whatever that is. Right. So the way to resolve such a thing is to make it conscious. So the moment I realized... I'm just being mad at her without even telling her why I'm mad at her, without even her knowing that I'm mad at her. Yeah. Right. But I'm mad at her. I've spoiled like 40 minutes of my time being mad at her instead of doing whatever I wanted to do that day or that morning. Yeah. And she doesn't even know that I'm mad at her. And I have not even told her, firstly, that I'm mad at you. And then this is the reason why I'm mad at you. And what can we do about it? Mm -hmm. Right. I've not done any of that work. It's unconsciously conflicting in my mind. And that happens all the freaking time in relationships very often, especially relationships that have been together for a long time. Because expectations are set only for the most basic things, Mm -hmm. right? But as relationship evolves, the expectations need to be very present to nuances, right? It could be how you spend money, right? Which previously might be acceptable to you. Let's say in a partnership, usually there's one person who is financially more aware or more conservative, let's just mm-hmm. call it that, and one person who's not so financially conservative, right? So you need to communicate that. And that's an expectation that needs to be transferred over. But most of the time, it just stays unconscious mm. because the conservative one is constantly going, why the other person is spending so much money? And the one who's not conservative is going, why is the person always stuck up about money? Mm-hmm. It's not like we don't have any, right? So Because there's no expectation communicated, right? But if you bring it to the conscious, you can resolve it. Now, one more thing one must understand leaning into further into conflicts is how you fight or what is the conflict mm-hmm. style that you have. It tends to usually be two kinds of conflictors, mm-hmm. if I may call it that, mm-hmm. usually in a relationship. One is fight for what's right, mm-hmm. is what I call them. And second one is retreat and resolve. Fight for what's right is a person that needs to talk about it right now. Like the conflicts in, <laughs> I'm going to talk about it right now. That's Nita, for example, that's, in our relationship. That's why we get she's along like, so well. She's like, Nita needs to fight about it right now. It's like, <laughs> fight uh, for what's right. And and they're very much in favor of, this is right. Let me tell you, here is what it is. Or here is, you say what you got to say as well. So fight for what's right. Yeah. And right is whatever is the perspective, right? And so they need to do it right then and there. 
right? And then there's the other personality type, which is more of mine, which is retreat and resolve, which is I need to retreat from that situation, kind of think as to what am I even thinking? Why am I even in this conflict? What am I even fighting for or fighting with, right? And then first make a meaning out of it and then come back to that conversation. Now, these are the two opposite ends of doing a conflict, right? Because the fight for what's right is like, why do we have to sit down and like think about it? Like, let's talk about it is the way to resolve it. Absolutely right. And the retreat and resolve person is also absolutely right because they're like, I don't even know what I'm thinking. I don't even know why I'm fighting. I have to first figure that out as to what is even the conflict that is in my mind or in the situation before I can discuss it, right? Polar opposite of, of how you do conflict. But think about somebody like, for example, me and Nita. If both of us are so distinct personalities, we need to tell each other how we fight or learn from each yeah. other on how to fight with each other or be in a conflict with each other to understand, oh, okay, I just going to need to, you know, like sit with it and come back when he is regulated, he has understood his situation, he's taken responsibility or whatever the thing he's going to do and then come back to the conversation. Mm -hmm. And I need to understand that when Nita needs to fight for what's right, I need to make myself available to fight for what's right. But to understand your conflict style is one of the keys to resolving conflicts much easier. It's because once you understand what is the conflict style, you can go, oh, okay, in this particular situation, the conflict's been brought to table, let's say from Ajit's perspective, he will retreat and resolve and then come to the conflict, mm -hmm. right? And if it is a conflict from Nita's point of view, we will need to go to resolve that straight away, mm -hmm. right? Because it's fight for what's right. It doesn't need to retreat and resolve, right? So you need to understand that so you can play the part of wherever the conflict originates, you can play that part because you understand the conflict styles of either of the personalities. Now, when you're in conflict, so we've talked about how conflicts or what types of conflicts mm -hmm. one has, conscious and unconscious. We've talked about conflict styles, which is fight for what's right or retreat and resolve. Now, when you are in conflict, mm -hmm. the best way to resolve is, is to firstly be mindful of where your emotional state is at mm -hmm. and know that if your emotional state is elevated, you need to kind of calm it down irrespective. And sometimes that's not available. That's not there because you're in it. And whoever in the relationship catches it needs to go, well, we need to hakuna matata. Hakuna yeah. matata is what me and Nita uses our words where we know our emotions are so elevated that we may say things that we don't even mean. Mm. Right? We may say hurtful things that we don't even actually mean. Like of truth of the truth, we know that's not the truth. Yeah. But can I jab you with it? Probably. Yeah. <laughs> right. And that happens in a relationship all the time. Yeah. Like, if I need to get back at you, I got enough arsenal to get mm -hmm. back at you. And that's true for any relationship that you have spent enough time with. And at the same point in time, you don't want to use that arsenal because that's not the truth of that person. That is a situation that was a circumstance. They probably grew out of it. Anyways. So so that's that's the first thing or first understanding that one needs to have. Secondly, you need to see if that is a situation that needs to be fought and resolved right then or it needs to be retreated and resolved, which is the way better way to resolve that situation in that particular conflict. And you want to lean mm -hmm. into that and see what needs to happen. And the third thing one must consider is that in a conflict, you never want to think as winners and losers. And that's the biggest problem with mm -hmm. relationships. Again, long-term relationships is we want to win. Right? And relationship is not a winning or losing model. It's a collaborative model. It's not a model where one can win, another can lose, because if that happens or starts to happen, it'll continue to happen. 
Because mm -hmm. if one wins, another one loses, the one who loses has resentment now and wants to win the next time. So they're going to try and do things to win. And then the cycle starts. Mm -hmm. And once the cycle starts, it's hard to stop it mm -hmm. because then it's a winning-losing cycle. And when you're winning-losing in a relationship, the relationship is losing all the time. Yeah. Right? So, so you want to think about what is a collaborative model, which means that when you come together, you're not coming together to win. You Or when you're conflicting, you're not conflicting to win. Mm -hmm. You're conflicting to discuss and yeah. collaborate and, and find a solution going forward. Yeah. And the last tool that one can use potentially mm -hmm. is to start looking at your conflicts as a third person. So third person view, which is why a therapist or a coach is mm -hmm. very, very useful mm -hmm. in relationships and one must have at least one of the two or if not both of them, is because they have a third person view. They are not associated with your pain, like in the sense of they're not going, how could you do that to this person? Except mm -hmm. for if you're being like abusive, which is a whole different thing. But in a regular relationship, they're simply going, okay, you said that, mm -hmm. you said that, and here is what you said, each of you. What do you think you said? And what do you think you said? Mm -hmm. They're basically a third person view. The moment you remove yourself from the situation mm -hmm. as your personal emotion, personal view, you now can see the situation for what the situation is, mm -hmm. which is two emotions colliding for what each of them think is right. Mm -hmm. right? And it's not anything else but that. And a third person view allows you to be able to lean into the perspective of the person that you're conflicting with, which is your partner. And that allows you to kind of ease off on all the gravity and the intensity that you're holding on mm -hmm. to because you think the other person is trying to do you wrong, yeah. which they're not. They're just trying to do what they think is right. Yeah. And that third person view really is helpful. There's so many misconceptions that you've named already. I think a lot of people think when it comes to conflict, oh, conflict is a bad thing. And what I really hear you saying is that conflict is an opportunity to get to know one another even better, get to know yourself, like understanding your conflict styles and taking responsibility for yourself and communicating that in partnership. What are some other common misconceptions about relationships and how can individuals overcome them? So I think one of the, and this is probably my Indian upbringing, but mm -hmm. you know, all the Bollywood movies end with they lived happily ever after. Mm -hmm. And I think that used to happen in the Hollywood movies too, yeah. right? So they live happily ever after is always the ending of the love story. Mm -hmm. And that's when marriage starts mm -hmm. <laughs> or your real relationship starts is after the first year or even the third year very often is when you have spent enough time with each other, especially if you live in together, three to five years is when it starts to kind of go, okay, I know all the crazinesses of this person mm -hmm. as much as the amazingnesses of this person. And when that happens, you start to realize that love doesn't stay the way the love started. Mm. Like the love doesn't stay the way the love starts. The love starts in a way, or love between two partners starts in a way, which is very much about all the chemicals coming together. So your biological shifts are pretty dominant at that time. And after three to five years is when your, your biological shifts are not as elevated when mm -hmm. you're with a partner, right? It depends also how you spend three years or five years together. Mm -hmm. And so love changes over time. And the way you express love changes, the way you receive love changes. And you must understand, and that's why it's so critical when you're manifesting your partner, you're not attracted by the physical beauty of the person, but the spiritual understanding of that person, yeah. the mental frames of that person, the goals and vision of that person. Because when that happens, after three years or five years, you still have synchronicities, right? But that synchronicity will still evolve as love will evolve, mm -hmm. right? How me and Nita express love to each other is different than when we started. Wow. And how we maintain our love is different than how we started. 
And it will change over time as well because you change. And because you will change and your partner will change, you'll tend to have a different way of expressing and experiencing love. Mm -hmm. And you must be present to that. So first thing to remember is love changes. How you express, how you experience, it changes and you must be ready for that. You can't go, you used to be different. They are going to be different. And they are going to constantly be different. And that's a good thing. You don't want to be with a partner that doesn't change because that will make sure that you don't. Yeah. Right. And you don't want to live a life where you mm-hmm. were same 20 years later. Yeah. Because where is the growth then? Where is the joy of life? Where is the experience of life? So you want a partner that wants to grow and changes with time because mm-hmm. you will change with time. Yeah. So that's the first thing that is to remember is love will change. Love mm-hmm. is not the same. The second thing to remember is conflicts are the center of growth. They are not the reason why relationships break. The reason why relationships break is because we don't know when we are in conflict as human beings. We're never trained for it. Especially if you had an Indian background, conflicts is to shy away from. Yeah. Emotions are to shy away from. Mm-hmm. Emotions are the thing we don't want. We only want happiness, happiness, happiness. <laughs> and then some more happiness. You want to smile, 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 oh, yeah. and smile some more. If you don't fight, you fight five seconds later, grandparents are going to separate you or parents are going to separate you because they're like, don't fight, don't fight, don't fight. There's no place for conflict in some cultures, definitely mm-hmm. not in my culture. And I'm expecting it's the same most of the places based on the experience of conversation that I've had with other people. It's the same culture they had, which is don't conflict, don't fight, don't fight, don't fight. And so conflict becomes this bad thing. And so we put it on the, push it under the rug. But when you're committing to spending 30, 40, 50 years with someone in life, you put a lot of things under the rug. Soon enough, the rug's not big enough. Yeah. And you are going to have a spillover mm-hmm. and then the relationship looks like constant badgering, constant nagging, mm-hmm. constant, you know, demeaning each other and not loving each other, mm-hmm. no tension, no sexual tension, no touch. All of that starts to disappear and becomes very, very, very rare because you never learned how to fight or never learned how to have a good conflict. So that's another thing that is very important and, and often not practiced in a love relationship is the idea of how to fight or how to have a conflict. Well, I think because people don't learn how to have conflicts, right? They end up saying things to each other that ends up breaking trust. So how can couples build and maintain trust in their relationship? Are there any specific strategies or exercises they can use? The way to maintain trust is firstly is to honor your truth or to communicate with truth. It's very important in a long-term relationship that you're truthful with each other. Mm -hmm. Whatever that might be, it would be painful, of course, when you first say something that the other person is not expecting. It would probably be hurtful. It'll probably lead to screaming and yelling Mm -hmm. and not agreeing and anger and frustration and all of that stuff. And those are all healthier than to not have trust in a relationship. So that's the first thing, is to speak your truth and know what your truth is, first of all, and then speak it. Mm-hmm. And speak it with the understanding that sometimes your truth will be rejected, mm-hmm. that it would not be accepted by your partner, and that may be a long road ahead once you've spoken your truth. Mm-hmm. But it is your truth. And once you are communicating truthfully, even if it's hurtful, it will allow the other person to know that they can trust you. Because even if it was hurtful, you did communicate something that you yeah. knew would create a wedge in the relationship. So that's the first thing to build relationship or truthful relationship or trust between the relationship is to be truthful. Mm -hmm. Be honest about whatever that is that you need to be honest about. Second thing is to know difference between nitpicking and expectations. Mm -hmm. Say more. Expectations is when you are clear about here are the things that I want you to do and they're big expectations. Nitpicking are little things that you can poke at. Mm -hmm. 
right? You can poke at because you get an immediate win. Or you, because you don't know how to deal with your emotions, you say, I can lay it on them by going, pook. Mm. Right? That's nitpicking. And when you nitpick, slowly the person who's being nitpicked at yeah. starts to lose trust in you because they think, they're just going to come back at me if I said that to them. Right? No. It's like if your partner is trying to lose weight, let's say hypothetically, right? Your partner's trying to lose weight and they had a cheat meal. And they said, ah, you know what? I had a cheat meal. And the next time they are on the weighing scale, you go, see, you had a cheat meal? Yeah, that's not very nice. That's not very nice. No. And the person goes, oh, I shouldn't tell her that or didn't, shouldn't tell him yeah. that, right? And that breaks trust. It's a small thing. It's mm -hmm. a tiny thing. But it breaks trust between two individuals. And do enough of it. And suddenly you have no trust between the person, right? Because the person goes, I don't know what I can tell her or what can I tell him, right? Because it, I'll get nitpicked at, mm -hmm. right? So nitpicking is different than having expectations. Expectation is something like saying, hey, listen, my expectation from you is that you support me as I'm going through this weight loss journey. That's an expectation. Yeah, That's communicated, it's clear. You can even define what that support looks like. Mm -hmm. Hey, I want you to not order in for the next 10 days because I'm on this health journey. I'm trying to build a new habit, right? I'm going to cook the meal for all of us. Mm -hmm. But the expectation is don't fall for that pizza. Not at house. Go order it at the office if you still feel like I need to honor this journey that I have. Could you support me? Mm -hmm. And then they can say yes or no. Mm -hmm. But hopefully they will say yes if they love you enough, right? They'll be like, sure, 10 days, 20 days, 30 days. I don't have to order pizza. I'll order it outside. Go eat outside and come back in. Yeah. If I really need to do it, it's not a big deal. But that's an expectation. Nobody's nitpicking at it, yeah. right? And if you fail sometimes, that's okay. Nitpicking would be to take those little things, the little failures, and then pick at it. Mm -hmm. And that happens in relationship a lot. And that's mostly because of the emotional resolve of the partner is because they need to get back at the partner because of some unresolved emotion that they have themselves or issue that they're dealing with themselves. And they can't come to the partner at that time. And they're just like ruminating in their own world and they're saying, how can I release it? And they go, poke. Right? So that's the difference. And nitpicking is probably the biggest deterrent of trust between partners. Yeah. Because it's easy to do. It slips by because it's such an automatic behavior. Mm -hmm. But over time, it breaks trust between partners. Because it's just a put down. You're, it's a put down. You're actually yeah. putting your partner down. Yeah. So how important is it? Because I know, you know, one of the things that you said was if, if someone's on a weight loss journey and they're like, hey, can you please not order pizza for the next 10 days? I think about like people having their own individual identities. I think about that person who may want to order in pizza for 10 days. Let's just say if they do. So how important is it for couples to maintain their individual identities while nurturing their relationship? And how can they strike a balance? So it's very interesting. I see relationships as two parallel tracks. Mm -hmm. In my opinion, that's how it should be. The relationship should always be two parallel tracks where they have their own identities and their own growth mm -hmm. that is happening. But at the same point of time, there is attachment and attraction mm -hmm. and the path stays together, right? The reason why it's important to maintain different identities and personal identities is if they become a mishmash, soon you won't be able to see the distinction between two people. Mm -hmm. It's often said that sometimes partners will start to look alike mm -hmm. after a while, right? And that is actually not a good thing. Yeah. Right. And the reason I say that's not a good thing is because all of the attraction is because you're slightly or very different people. Right. One of the keys to a successful relationship is not to have the same person that you are in relationship with you. Right. 
you have a different person that is in relation to it. It provides area for growth for both of them and keeps a very healthy tension between two parties. This healthy tension is helpful in many ways. It helps you grow. When it's difficult times, a healthy tension actually helps you survive that difficult time much better. A healthy tension is great for sexual tension. Mm -hmm. A healthy tension is great for areas that you would be blindsided to. Mm -hmm. Like there are areas that I'm completely blindsided to and Nita is phenomenal at. Mm-hmm. And the area she's completely blindsided to that I am phenomenal at. Mm-hmm. But because we are both phenomenal at different things and our identities are pretty different. And if you will actually meet us, like people who have met us go, wow, you are different people. You have very different priorities, but neither of us take away power from the other person. Mm-hmm. Or at least we consciously try not to. Unconsciously, if you do it once in a while, that is possible. But consciously, we would never take away power from each other. Like consciously would go, nope, that's Nita. And she would tell me if I am taking away her power at some points, like, hey, that's my power and you're leaning into it. Let's make sure we know what our expectations of each Mm -hmm. other is. And I would do the same. Like, hey, listen, that's my superpower. That's my area. That's my thing that I want to do. So let's be clear on what our expectations of Mm -hmm. each other is. And that tension actually keeps everything really juicy and exciting. And eventually relationships that last in a good way are the ones that are exciting. Mm-hmm. If a relationship is boring, it's not going to last. Yeah. It's easy to let go of a relationship like that, except for if there's a societal barrier, which happens in some countries, of course, mm-hmm. like arranged marriages and so forth. But if you're in a love relationship, it needs to stay exciting. If it's not exciting, it's going to get boring. If it's going to get boring, then you are going to lose the steam. And honestly, in today's world, the greatest and the worst thing is too many options. Yeah. Right? Now... When we think about a relationship, and that was me a few years ago, you don't think about a relationship as a lifetime relationship. You think about a relationship as till the time I love this person. Yeah. Right? Or till the time love lasts. Right? And because of that dialogue, the desire to fight for a relationship has gone away. Yeah. The desire or understanding of why a long-term relationship really is good for humanity overall has gone away. And I'm not saying if your relationship didn't last, it's a bad thing. One of mine mm-hmm. didn't last. But it is an interesting proposition to think. Mm-hmm. Or at least there's an effort to be made towards creating a long-term relationship because a long-term relationship is tremendous amount of stability, Everybody ages. And while there's a lot of sciences and maybe we'll maintain our vitality as we get older, there is some sense of vitality loss that happens over time, which means times get harder Mm -hmm. for either of the genders, right? And if you don't have a long-term relationship, you're always seeking and you're more lonelier. If you've decided to have kids, they don't have a good example of a stable relationship, Mm -hmm. which may mean that the kids now have a less likelihood of a stable relationship, right? Because even if you could be the best parent in the world, a kid's going to understand what a kid's going to understand. If they see their parents separating, it's a possibility. And my parents have been together all their life, but I have friends that find it hard to love a partner long-term because they project from their childhood Mm. because their parents were not together long-term. So they start to go, oh, that's, I can't. And they blame it on their parents. And it's not that their parents were saying, you can't have love for forever. Like they were not saying that, but that's how they received it because their parents didn't last forever. They started to believe that love doesn't last forever. And again, there's maybe pros and cons to everything. 
at the same point in time, it's an interesting discussion to have with yourself to go, what is it that I am creating for myself in life? Am I creating a stable frontier in my relationship so I can take all the risks in life? Mm -hmm. And this actually helps business, by the way. Because my relationship is so stable, my business can be riskier. Mm -hmm. like, and I can grow it much more magnificently today than when my relationship was not stable, mm -hmm. right? Because I have the stable ground that I go back to and then I go crazy mm -hmm. and then go back to the stable ground. So having a stable ground is actually really great. I'm just curious to know, when it comes to keeping the romance alive, I think we're going to have fun with this question. When it comes to keeping the romance alive and preventing that complacency, that robotic monotone, you know, day in and day out, I know you, Anita, have some spice in your relationship. I love how you guys prioritize date night. I love that you guys do things together and you always keep things exciting. How can couples do that? How can couples keep their relationship spicy, steamy, fresh, new, you know? So Nita is actually the mastermind behind it. So I'll <laughs> give the credit where it's due. Yeah. And at the same point in time, there's a simple principle or set of principles that we follow overall. So Firstly, look at anything that's boring in your relationship and make it not boring. <laughs> so, for example, date nights is a very boring thing if yeah. you really think about it. Most people have date night, which is at a restaurant. They go eat yeah. at a nice restaurant that is hot in town or whatever that is. They get a reservation. They order food. They talk about the week. Mostly they talk about the kids. And then they go back home and go to sleep. Yeah. That's kind of how usual date nights are. So, Nita came in and said, that's kind of boring. Okay, fine. We'll have all the restaurants of Austin. But... We care about food, but do we really care? Yeah. Right? Is that really that important that all week long mm -hmm. I wait to have dinner with you? Yeah. Right? Is that really what we think is an exciting date night? So she said, okay, why don't we diversify? It's like, sure, we love food. Let's have one of the date nights that are at a restaurant. But the other three in a month, so there's four approximate on an average, four date nights, right? The other one, one has to be an experience. Experience that is different. It could be something where we go and build something together. It could be something where if we have had a week, we may go to a rage room. We may go to something. Basically, it's an experience that you have. Maybe we'll go paint something. Yeah. Maybe we go build something. Maybe we go whatever that is, bowling. Mm -hmm. Whatever that is. Something different than what we have not done before or we haven't done in a while. Right? So one is an experience. You must have an experience, mm -hmm. right? The other one is you must have an adventure. An adventure is something outdoors. It's like, okay, so outdoors is something that has to do with physical fitness. Mm -hmm. So it might be a yoga class or a hot yoga class, which I don't necessarily enjoy, but it is but fun to do, right? <laughs> it's very, very fun to do. But it could be a hike. It could be a kayak, right? It could be a boat. It could be anything. Basically something that moves us outside, gives us a different frame, gives us a thing that we are otherwise not really set ourselves up to, mm -hmm. right? One has to be an adventure. One has to be something else. So it basically, you're creating different kinds of experiences every single week that do not look like anything that you did before, right? Or look different. Mm -hmm. And then one of us is in charge every month. So if let's say this month I'm in charge, so I have to plan all four. Mm -hmm. And then next month Nita is in charge, she'll plan all four and so on and so forth. And because of that, we would not have just a date night. It's a night where we will have a different frame than our regular life. And that's what is excitement is. Excitement is yeah. you experiencing something you haven't experienced before, right? Yeah. That's what, not necessarily, but you know, it creates an excitement when you are experiencing something you haven't experienced before. And because of that reason, you will end up having a more 
different relationship with each other because you're like, oh, I don't necessarily like hot yoga, but I'm doing hot yoga with my wife. It's a different experience. Yes. I would never book that session by myself. Right. There's no way that <laughs> I was doing that. But because I'm booking it for our date night, it becomes different. It feels different. It yeah. gets us to talk about why do I not like hot yoga? What is so weird about it? I love fitness. Why is it? And it creates a discussion that otherwise we would never have. Yeah. So it's interesting. And then every date night or most date nights must end with sex. Yeah, please. Absolutely. <laughs> yeah. We, we got two kids, right? Yeah. So it's hard for us to do it during the day because again, we have busy lives. We're very social people. Evenings are with kids. Right now is a season where my parents are over this and that. Something, somebody's always over at a house. Mm -hmm. You already know that. So it's a little bit hard for us to do it during the daytime or on a regular weeknight. So we have to almost schedule it. But scheduling it helps because then it's not only just having sex. It is about having sex in the most passionate way. And each of us would bring different tricks to the table, mm -hmm. right? So we would make a conscious effort of always learning how to make that life also exciting and juicy and different. So it's not the same, the same, the same. It's actually different and different and different. And we learn, and you can learn this, the tons of learning opportunities for this, mm -hmm. but we also change that. So that keeps a default for every week to be different and exciting. And then what we would also do is once every couple of months, we would have a peak experience. A peak experience is something that would usually, to simplify it, it's an event. It's something that will completely reframe everything that you have done until then. So it could be where we would say, for example, like for example, we were just for five days in Lake Como, just me and Nita, mm -hmm. right? And for five days, we we're just celebrating and hanging out with each other, loving on each other, learning about each other, shopping together, doing different things together. We went to Switzerland one day, you know, like all of that fun stuff. But what it does, is it creates a peak experience. A peak experience basically revives your relationship uh, every couple of months. Every couple of months, either we would do it for two days, we would do it for four days, where it's just me and Nita stepping out of our reality, whatever that is. Mm -hmm. It could be sometimes just one day, but we'll step outside, do a thing together and come back. Yeah. And when you do peak experience it, it changes you, which is a practice for just life that you should have a peak experience once a quarter, if nothing more. So you can have a different viewpoint of life and get an upgrade to yourself, even if your other life mm -hmm. kind of may feel mundane and boring sometimes. So there's so much talk about green flags and red flags on the internet. And I want to hear from you, what are some warning signs or red flags that people need to be aware of when entering a new relationship? There are many red flags that a person could have and it's personal preference a little bit. Yeah. But generally, I would say there are red flags is uh, don't date your mother or father. Don't. <laughs> Not literally. I mean, a lot of times you end up with yeah. personalities that are like your parents yeah. because you're trying to fill a parent hole uh, and you're not necessarily looking for love. You're looking for a parent. So don't find a parent for yourself. It's It looks... Very comforting in the starting because psychologically it makes you feel mm -hmm. safe. Emotionally, you feel safe. But long term, it's not a good relationship. It's not exciting after a point because you are dating your parent in a way. So first red flag is if you are, and it's a red flag for yourself, not necessarily for the person across because they're not trying to be a parent. Yeah. You are picking somebody that is like your parent. So don't do that. That's not good. Some qualities will always be there, but don't literally find your parent. And I've seen a lot of people do that. They would literally find their mothers and fathers in their relationship. And that's that's not a long-term relationship. How do you think about when someone starts to tell you about their entire past relationship? Is that a red flag? Like, you know, I was once dating this guy, this was years ago. First thing he tells me is, 
about how bad his ex was. And so mm-hmm. it was then I remember I felt like, oh, well, I can't be like his ex now because he's just told me everything. So now I have mm-hmm. to not be like that. Is that a red flag? You know, when you, It's a red flag yeah. because that person is not ready yet yeah. to actually date anybody else. It's I don't know if it's a red flag in the sense of for the person who's receiving, yeah. but I would run away from a person that constantly talks about their ex because they're not over their ex. Yeah. So I would be like, oh, you're not ready for another relationship, especially if I'm interested in this. I ain't getting into this mess because you're still <laughs> trying to get over that girl or guy. And I don't want to be the fall. Yeah. Unless I am in that season of life where I'm happy to be the rebound guy or the rebound yeah. girl, then sure. Yeah. But otherwise, no, I don't want to be in that relationship where I'm constantly being told about the last relationship you yeah. had. You could mention it once in a while, but that's pretty much it. Yeah. I rather prefer a person that talks about what are their must-haves than not-haves in a relationship. Mm-hmm. Uh, not-haves are our stuff we tell ourselves and we would negotiate them all the time for our must-haves. Yeah. So I'm more interested in what's your must-have. Yeah. Because not-haves is uh, is arbitrary. Yeah. Usually they don't last very long. Okay. So a lot of what you've shared, a lot of the advice that you've given is really about us becoming more conscious, more aware, more intentional, and also communicating our needs, our wants, our expectations So actually one last question. What advice do you have for individuals who struggle with vulnerability and opening up in relationships? Because what you're asking for us to do and advising is that we become more honest about what we want. But what about those people who struggle with vulnerability and opening up? So my question to a person that struggles with vulnerability and opening up is, what is it that they desire in life? If they are looking for a relationship that lasts them 20 years, 30 years, 50 years, because they're looking for that solid ground. They're looking for home. They're looking for that place where they can go back to their sense of stability, their sense of love and belonging. What are you so scared of? If you're looking for that stability, what is the foundation that you would want of that uh, that stability? Mm-hmm. Because if you can't get vulnerable, neither would the other person, right? So are you willing to build a relationship with a person that you don't know or yeah. you barely know? or who puts up a facade every day to show you that they are the perfect being? Or do you rather be with a person that's just as real as it gets? And because they're as real as it gets, you know you're getting all of it and you're giving them all of it. There are, there are reasons why we don't want to be vulnerable, right? Yeah. And it's a generalistic diagnosis, but generally what would happen is you're not vulnerable because you were once and somebody took advantage of it. Yeah. That's the reason why you're not vulnerable anymore. It's a possibility you're not wanting to be vulnerable because you think it is going to be scary and people will take advantage of it. Or there was a parent figure that was not vulnerable. Whatever the thing was, Mm -hmm. but there's a story around vulnerability and trust and a relationship with vulnerability. And you've made that story as the truth of life. That's truly why somebody is not willing to be vulnerable. Diagnose if that's actually the truth of life. Mm -hmm. Because it's not. And you would look, around everywhere to see that vulnerability is not something that people take advantage of. They can, of course. Mm -hmm. But vulnerability is what a great relationship is built on. Is a great human being built on for that matter. It's not even about a relationship. If you cannot be vulnerable, you cannot really accept yourself fully because you don't understand yourself fully. Vulnerability is a part of being human. It's not something different. And one must understand that there's a difference between vulnerability and weakness. Weakness, you may or may not want to communicate because weakness is something that you may be working on, Mm -hmm. right? Vulnerability is honesty, is another word for honesty in a way. Mm -hmm. Honesty creates trust or forges Mm -hmm. trust. Trust is the foundation of a relationship because if you are with someone 
that is growth-minded oriented or is oriented towards growth and success in life overall, they're going to get successful mm -hmm. and they're going to become really desirable even if they are not today, right? The more desirable they become, the more trust you need in them and in yourself and in the relationship. Mm -hmm. How do we force that trust? Honesty, yeah. vulnerability, it's the same thing. Mm -hmm. And so my curiosity is if you're looking for a relationship that thrives with you because you want to thrive as a person, you want probably a partner to thrive as a person, then why not start with honesty? I mean, there's a mic drop right there. <laughs> Thank you so much, Ajit. These were great answers to these questions because I think so many people want to have love in their life. They don't know where to begin. They don't want it to not get spicy. So just thank you so much for everything today. Thank you. Thank you.